Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Thank you, Jim, for the songs. Thank you for teaching me and admonishing me in the songs. Okay. And thank you, Mike, for the prayer. And Dawn, for your word. We are in this together. This is lesson three in a series. Uh, I think there'll be one more and maybe two more. If you've not heard the first two, praise the Lord, we have opportunity to do that, and I encourage you to go to the website and do the podcast or the download to hear what we've been about. We've been studying in the book of Acts, starting with chapter one. Going back to our beginnings, our roots, Beginnings of the kingdom of God, the church, the body of Christ. Recognizing that it has both historical, in time on earth, roots in human beings and heavenly roots, eternal and supernatural through God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And these two are ever and always entwined together. Talked about our spiritual forefathers and ancestors, and we have the same master or Lord as them, Jesus the Christ. And we never want to lose sight of that. And they were given a message to take into the world about a new kingdom the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the gospel. And they were given that mission to take that message into all the world, beginning in Jerusalem to tell the world about it and to live the way of Christ. And we, as followers of them, their word of Christ Jesus, we don't ever want to lose sight of that as our purpose and our only purpose, to follow Christ, to take that message into the world, that message of the gospel, that there is salvation and forgiveness, that that is our task. The last time we were working toward the second part of chapter 1, Jesus had ascended, gone back to the Father, and they were now alone. Jesus was gone. They had to deal with the fact there had been a traitor in their midst, and probably reminded of their own shortcomings and failures, and that they themselves could fall away just as easily as Judas. There were only about 120 of them. They're all the crowds, the mobs, if you will, had followed at different times. That's all the number that were left. They had been given a promise that they would be given power from on high, and they had been given a command to wait, wait in Jerusalem for that to happen. And then we saw that two things characterized this little group. First of all, they were of one mind. And that meant more, as we saw, not just that they were getting along, but they had one purpose, and they knew what that purpose was, and they had been given that purpose. And they were devoting themselves continually to prayer, that they were trusting God to lead them in this very seminal time on the earth, in these new beginnings. And these are our beginnings. 
as the church of Christ, the church of God. Many, many things started new at this time. So our roots run deep. We're going to be studying in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole chapter. I encourage you to do that sometime this afternoon or this week and to study it all out. And what we're going to see is that all of this came about as a result of three prophecies. That uh, one of them, two of them are fulfilled on this day of Pentecost, as we call it, and one of them is affirmed by Peter when he stands up. And these all fit, obviously, perfectly together because all this was engineered and designed by God and brought about by God himself. So the roots of all this even go back before this day of Pentecost because it was prophesied that these things would happen. So let's look at the first prophecy. It's found in Joel 2, 28 to 32. I'm not going to turn there. Peter cites part of it. Like I said, we don't have the time this morning to go through all of this in detail. So I'm leaving that up to you and your heart to do some further reading. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. I think that's speaking about uh, the group, probably. Uh, maybe the, just the apostles. Some argue about that. I'm not sure. I don't know that it matters. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Notice here it was a noise. Like a wind, okay? Some people depict it and say it was a wind, but it was not a wind. It was a noise. And it was a great noise. If you remember the roots of the word pneuma in the Greek means wind or breath or spirit. And so this was an indication that the spirit of God had come and was coming upon them at this time. Uh, John, in John 3.8, Jesus, if you recall his talk with Nicodemus, said, you know, the wind blows wherever you will. You can hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going. Well, that was what was happening here, this great and mighty noise. Jesus had promised the Spirit in John, and he sent it, just like he promised, because he wanted his people to have this power. He said, I'll not leave you alone, but he's going to lead you into all truth. You can read in Romans chapter 8, being led by the Spirit, again, all these things that the Spirit of God does for us. It says uh, the, the cloven tongues or the tongues like, like fire were sitting upon them, okay, and they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Other tongues meaning here they were different tongues from the ones that they knew to speak, and they were different from one another. As you read on down through there, and I'm going to not read that part 
about all the different languages, and that word tongues means languages, all the different languages that were being spoken here by the apostles as a result of the Spirit's empowering them. And this was for everybody to see and know that it was God behind this, that God was doing this. If you look in verse 5, let's start in 5. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. This sound must have been tremendous. We're told there that they were all together in one place, and in verse 2, it filled a whole house. So evidently, they were in this house, which was nearby the temple area. The sound must have just been everywhere. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? They were all amazed. This is the miracle. They were not just babbling. You might see some of these people on TV these days try to say they're speaking in tongues and they're chattering away in some kind of whatever it is. That's not what this was. These were real languages spoken by people of the day. That's what they were. It's, that was the miracle. In verse 12, I'm jumping down past that whole group of people they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And that, that was one reason why God did it this way, was to get them to ask a question. But something great was happening here. The great sound, they had these, whatever it was, looked like fire, and they had tongues of fire, flames of fire, and they were speaking in different languages, and they said, you know, these are Galileans. You know, Galileans had a particular dialect. Okay, remember when Peter was uh, there in uh, the courtyard and he was trying to get back close to Christ? He had run away and they said, Surely you were with him, aren't you? You're a Galilean. They knew by his speech. Okay, and they, these guys were recognized as being Galileans, but they were speaking in these other languages clearly and they could be understood by all these other groups. Well, then in 13, you got, always got those who were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine, wine which wasn't even alcoholic. You know, they're just making fun. And uh, you always find people like that, no matter what it is, no matter how great it is, how significant it is, their, their eyes and hearts and minds are closed. They don't want anything to do with it. They got their mind made up about life, and they're just going to motor on. And they don't care to find out what things are. They don't care about truth. They don't care about significant things like this. Well, wouldn't that make you want to know what, what this is? You know, the honest heart, we want to know, what is this? But some did not. And I'm sure that 
and you're talking with some folks, you run into those. <coughs> now, don't talk to me about that. You ever run into anybody like that? You start to bring up about the gospel or about uh, life eternal, the end of life, or serious things. They say, oh, eh, I don't want to talk about that. That's kind of the same thing. It's really sad. Verse 14. So, well, before I jump into that, so this was the prophecy fulfilled in Joel, and Peter's going to mention this here, that the Holy Spirit would come. Joel prophesied it. Of course, it was God through Joel prophesying it, and then Jesus had said, I'm going to send the Spirit. He's being in accord with Joel's prophecy. 14. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You can read the rest of that. Peter explains, Peter affirms, this was the prophecy of Joel that we are experiencing now. What a great and marvelous day that would have been for them to be there and to know that this was what Joel had prophesied about several hundred years before. When we, are, when we are given explanations like this, Peter says, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy. You know, it's good for us to study that out and understand prophecy, okay? Sometimes we, we don't understand prophecy. We try to take it too literally at times. We don't realize that some of it is symbolic and some of it is uh, figurative. And so when we have that given to us, we need to study that out and understand how the prophecy was made and how it was fulfilled. Jesus did this for us with parables as well. Some of the parables he explained, you know, when the disciples said, tell, tell us the meaning of this, you know, the parable of the, of the seed or the parable of the tares. And when Jesus explains one for us, we really want to study that out and understand how the parable was told and the explanation of it, because that helps us then apply those principles to further parables, the ones that aren't explained for us. So it's, you know, this is, this is a key thing here. If you're studying prophecy, go to this one and see how that was fulfilled and all the words that were there. So Peter explains that. So this is the first prophecy that we're seeing here on Pentecost that is fulfilled. And it happened then. The Spirit of God was poured out on the apostles at this time, and they spoke in the tongues. Okay, let's jump down to verse 22. The second prophecy, all right? Now, he's going to affirm that this one has already been fulfilled, okay? 50-some days before, from the Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Peter's going to affirm that when he stands up. 
Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over with a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Peter is emphasizing here Jesus' humanity. They're saying that it was God that empowered him to do the miracles, power of the Holy Spirit. He says the crucifixion was foreknown by God. In fact, it was planned by God. It was brought about by God. Jesus was the Lamb of God, provided by God for the sins of the world. But on the other hand, he says, you did it. By the hands of wicked men, you caused him to be nailed to the cross. Remember, when Jesus was before Pilate, and Pilate kept saying, I find nothing wrong in this man. What do you want me to do with him? And what did they say? Crucify. Crucify. That's what they kept saying. So Pilate gave in. And so that's what Peter is talking about here. Yeah, the Romans actually put him to death, but he's saying you were guilty too by your hand. I know this presents a problem sometimes. We think about it. You know, God planned it. Predetermined plan, foreknowledge of God, yet... You're guilty in doing this. Sometimes we struggle with that. And you, have to, you have to deal with that concept. God planned it. He knew it was going to happen, yet those who participated in it were still guilty, still had the free will to do that. And so you have to, you have to understand and, and just accept that that is the truth and that's the way things are. Perhaps we can discuss that concept another time. But they were guilty. They had killed Jesus of Nazareth. But, verse 24, but, those are great lessons to give, the but lessons. All right? But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, and he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life, the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Jesus, though, overcame death. He came back from death. We're told in Revelation 1 that he has the keys of Hades and of death. It was impossible for him to be held in its power, and we've said this before, it's because he was without sin. We die because of sin. Jesus had no sin. So he took our sins, that's why he could die, but he came back because he had none of his own. 
overcame the agony of death. Peter mentions here the Psalm 16, which we read most of that 8 to 11. Notice here the two components of the human being that God took care of. All right? I'll not leave your soul in Hades. Now, some of you have the King James that says hell, and that is a mistranslation. That's not. The mistranslation of hell in the King James has led to a lot of misunderstanding and even uh, false beliefs. So you've got to be really careful with that. It is Hades, the place of the dead. That's where he went. So you'll not leave my soul in Hades, and he didn't. Nor we allow your Holy One to undergo decay. That's the body. We are two components, soul and a body. When the two are separated, that's death. Okay? That's death. We only live in a body. And that's why we get on Resurrection Day a spiritual body because that's how we'll live in eternity so God took care of his son he was without sin he conquered death he came back in that body you know here I am touch me see my hands that's how he was alive Okay, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. So they're telling the story, and this is exactly what Jesus told them to do on the mountain before he ascended, isn't it? You will be my witnesses to this. And so they're all affirming here, we are witnesses that God raised him up. We saw him alive from the dead. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. We've mentioned that. He made that promise. Jesus did it, and it fulfilled the Joel prophecy. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's where Jesus is now, at the right hand of God the Father, ruling, ruler of the kings of the earth, as we see in Revelation chapter 1. Exalted there because he did the will of God perfectly. And praise God for him. Because he is our righteousness, he is our sanctification, he's our redemption, he's our hope, I can go on and on. It's only about Christ Jesus. He conquered all these things for us. Thirty-six. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, for certain, there's no doubt about it. There is no quibbling. Do you know for certain? 
what Peter is about to say? Do you believe it with all your heart? Absolutely, totally. Not one bit shaking like a leaf in the wind. That God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He is Lord, he is ruler, he is master of all. He is the anointed one, prophet, priest, and king. That's him. He's there. He's our salvation. Notice how Peter had to tell them the truth. You crucified him. Oh, yes, you did. But God raised him up. God raised him up. That's the good news. When we talk with folks about their lives, you know, they have to hear. Yeah, you might have done some good things in your life, but you're still a sinner because you're away from Christ. You're not perfect. You've done things you shouldn't have. You leave things hanging that you should take care of. People need to hear that. Otherwise, they have no need for a Savior, do they? If they think their life is just great and fine and there's no problems, why do they need Jesus, right? And so you have to address that. But then you have the good news to tell them. And in Christ, and we're going to see the really good news here in, in the next section, through Christ, sin is overcome, death is overcome, there is a future. No matter how dark your life has been, no matter what you've done or how many times you've done it, Christ gives us the future, the hope. So he's at the right hand of the Father now, and he's ruling. And you know, when Peter announced that, I'm thinking this is like earth-shattering news, earth-shaking news, and all the demons have to run for cover because Christ has overcome death. We have there the Hebrews, let's turn to the Hebrews too. Because now, Satan has lost his big gun. He has lost his big weapon. And that's the fear of death. Because you don't have to fear death anymore. Now, I know we all have concerns about dying. We wonder what it's like and you know, how it's going to happen. But to be dead, we don't have to be afraid of that because Jesus has conquered it and in Christ we'll come back to life. Look at Hebrews 2.14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, you know, that's children of God, I think, generally speaking, God made his people uh, to be flesh and blood, his offspring, he himself likewise also partook of the same, meaning Jesus. He became one of us. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. See, to, to, to have the power of death, you have to overcome death, and that's one reason why he had to die. So he could come back and overcome it. And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Slavery to Satan. Because Satan had us in his grasp because we all sinned, right? We all sinned and we had no answer for it. But through Christ there is an answer. 
So Satan's big weapon has now been taken away. We should not fear death. David's prophecies fulfilled. Jesus' soul was not left in Hades, and his, the Holy One did not see corruption. He came back, came back from the dead. So that prophecy was fulfilled, and Peter affirms it. Let's go to verse 37. Here's the third prophecy. The third prophecy is not mentioned here. It's the one in Jeremiah 31, which we'll go to in just a minute. So after Peter makes all his, his speech here, his talk about what, what this was all about and what had happened, now when they heard this, all, meaning all that Peter said, they were pierced to the heart. They were pierced to the heart. They, they were troubled. This affected them. It moved them. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They obviously believed what Peter said. That they had had a part in uh, killing Jesus. That God had been with Jesus. He was made Lord in Christ. He was the Messiah. He did fulfill the prophecy. And that was what all this was about. What do we do? Another good question. From time to time, we all need to ask that question. What do I need to do when things change, when things are different, when, come, when I come up against something? What will I do? Consult God. Consult the scripture. Pray. Let him guide you. But they were, they were asking of Peter and the others, what do we do? Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. All right, now let's look at this. First of all, he says repent. You know, all right, change your mind, change your heart about the way you've been particularly looking at this Jesus of Nazareth and understand my words of what God has done with him. Now, repentance was not a new word for these Jews. Many of them have probably heard John the Baptist, you know. And that was his message, right? Repent, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But even in, the, in their scriptures, God was always calling Israel to repent. You can see it everywhere, especially in the prophets, because they were always going away from God. So the prophet came to call them to repent and come back. So this was not a new word. They understood what this meant. They had to change things. Be baptized. Be immersed. Be submerged in water. This was not new for the Jews either. Okay? John had practiced the baptism. Okay? And this was something that they had done at various times uh, for uh, ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing and so forth. So this was not something new to the Jews either, the uh, concept of being baptized or immersed. Okay? But then he said, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now that was new. 
That was different. Because now Jesus is the one with the power, isn't he? Jesus is the one who said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So it's his name now that carries the weight with God. And it's in him that there's salvation. And that's the way you get into him by being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Because that means you're doing this for him and because this is what he said to do and because you are accepting him as Savior and Lord. That was something different. Think what that must have been like for some of those there who would have been involved with crucifying this Jesus and they didn't believe in him and they thought he was in there do well and a no good. And now Peter says, wait a minute now. You need to be baptized in his name. A 180 degree flip-flop. They had to accept what they had done and accept him as Lord. And then, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This was new. This was new. Under Moses, under the sacrificial laws, there was a reminder of sins every year. There was an atonement or a covering. But sins were never really remitted. But this was new. Now there was forgiveness. Now sins would be not remembered anymore. And that takes us to Jeremiah 31, the prophecy of the new covenant. And you see, here it is that this new covenant is being established by God. The old fading away. We're done with that. The new has come in Christ. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin. I will remember no more. And that's the day that this came to be true. And was first proclaimed by Peter. This was new. The new covenant was now in place. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Something, you know, the Holy Spirit had been around since the beginning. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was with certain individuals in, in the Old Testament. And he was with Israel in general. But there was never a promise, individual promise made to every person they would receive that gift. But now the promise was made. The gift of the Spirit to each one. So what happens? 
41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. And I submit to you there was not a soul added who was not baptized, not a one. I don't know how many were there. You know, it was a Pentecost day. It was a big celebration in Jerusalem. I'm sure that 3,000, we think, oh, 3,000, that's a lot, and it is, but there were probably a whole lot more people there than 3,000 people. And a lot of them probably heard that speech by Peter, and they probably walked away. God added the ones who were baptized in the name of Christ. And so this new people came into existence. This kingdom of God, this church. And we'll just read this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Kind of sounds similar, doesn't it, to what they were doing before this. Continually devoting them. These were the things that mattered. This is what we're to be focused on and doing. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling for their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Needs arise, people had property, they sold it. We try to do that. People have needs. We take care of those needs within the body of Christ. Day by day, continuing with one mind, there's that one mind concept in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved, those who come to believe in Jesus and were immersed in his name. Those were the ones being saved. And God kept adding to their number. They had a master, they had a message, and they had a mission. And that's where it all started. And the book unfolds and the rest of the New Testament unfolds with the people of God doing just that. Being faithful to Christ, faithful to his, to his work, and faithful to one another serving one another in love. So the work had just begun, the battle had just begun, and it still goes on, doesn't it? God has seen fit to leave the world stand. He is hoping, looking for more to be brought into the kingdom. That's what's happening. And we as the family... We as his people, we are following in the footsteps of Peter and the others here, trying to take that message into the world, into our families, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, wherever God might give us opportunity, something happens. We have this in our mind because we have this one mind with God and one purpose that this is why we are in existence to serve the Lord Jesus Christ so this morning we we'll leave that with you as I said read that over there's so much there 
But these are the, our spiritual roots. If you've been touched by anything this morning, you are a Christian and you need prayer. The Holy Spirit has, has convicted you of sin, of something in your life that you need to uh, repent of. Repentance, I've said before, is not a bad thing. Sometimes the congregation says, oh, look at him, there he goes, look at her. It's a good thing when people repent, when they acknowledge their sin and they bring it to Christ. If you need prayer this morning for any reason, maybe it is sin, maybe you're struggling with something, we're here to help you, Mike and Mike, Rick and Dawn, myself. If you want to obey the gospel, give your life to Christ like these did, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We can assist you with that. Whatever your need might be on your journey, please come while we stand and sing.